6 o'clock straight up. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome. This is the Mark Riley Show. I am he. Glad you are with us on this Wednesday evening. You know, uh, it's starting to get dark awful early. Uh, And it's going to get darker even earlier after this weekend when the clocks change again. Remember, it's spring forward, fall back. So we actually, I think, Jason, do we get an extra hour? I think, yeah, an extra hour. Jason Taubenfeld at the controls, ladies and gentlemen, does a wonderful job for us here. Uh, as do all the folks at the Progressive Radio Network, I might add. So this show is about dealing with some stories, some of which you may have heard various takes on on the different PRN shows. Some of them maybe not. And the ones that you have heard, you haven't heard the twist that I put on them. Because I try to do something just a little bit different. Now, we're going to start out. I, I, I have a list of stories, but there was a story I heard earlier today after I had put together the template. See, this is a curveball, Jason. It's no big deal, but it's still a curveball. Uh, I don't know how many of you, most of you probably do know the hacker group Anonymous. Jason, you know about them, right? All right. They are claiming that Officer Darren Wilson, some of you may know who he is from Ferguson, Missouri, will not be indicted by a grand jury in the shooting death of 18-year-old Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, according to purported government sources. Now, you know, you can say this is speculation. You can say they don't know what they're talking about. You can say they're talking out their hat. But, you know, there have been crazy leaks already with regard to what's being heard and evidence coming out of that grand jury investigation. This is what Anonymous released yesterday. I'm going to read it word for word so y'all can't say you didn't hear it from somebody. Last night, we announced that we have received over the past several days a series of leaks from two separate and unrelated sources regarding the long-awaited grand jury decision regarding the murder of Mike Brown by Ferguson PD officer Darren Wilson. In our opinion, this is anonymous, not mine. After careful analysis, the sources are reliable and the information we are about to reveal is true. Both sources are government employees with access to both internal government as well as confidential police communications. For reasons of safety, we will not reveal we will not be revealing anything further on either our sources or the material leaked to us. The following is a, are, is a synopsis of the leaked information. On or about November 10th, 2014, the grand jury decision will be announced. Darren Wilson will not be indicted on any charges related to the murder of Mike Brown. All local police chiefs and jail commanders have been notified to begin preparing for major civil unrest. Governor Nixon has been notified of the impending announcement and has ordered the Missouri National Guard to begin preparations for a possible reinstatement of the martial law that was declared at the beginning of the Ferguson protests. As additional evidence that neither the state nor federal authorities intend any legal action against Darren Wilson for the murder of Mike Brown, one of our sources has provided a very intriguing close-up glimpse of Darren Wilson, his current whereabouts and lifestyle. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into all that. And again, uh, you know, they didn't reveal sources, which most people don't. And there's no guarantee that their sources are completely accurate. However, uh, I had kind of sort of come to the same conclusion they did without having any sources. I've never been to Ferguson, Missouri. But I do know how these things, you know, kind of the process that is used. And when you hear about evidence, forensic evidence, this kind of evidence, that kind of evidence, that tends to clear a police officer, you pretty much know there's not going to be an indictment. There's not going to be charges against Darren Wilson. Now, will he be able to be a cop again? I do not know. But it looks as though that area, Ferguson, maybe even as far as St. Louis, has already begun preparations to be on high alert when that grand jury decision is rendered. Whatever it may be. And I, I, you know, I can't say this is incontrovertible, uh, incontrovertible evidence that Darren Wilson will not be invited. It's not. But it is one organization, a hacker group, 
saying they've gotten information that says Wilson will walk. I wonder what people will do in Ferguson and elsewhere if that turns out to be the case. And, and again, you never know. You really never know. But I, I wouldn't put my money against Anonymous in terms of what the final outcome of all this will end up being. We move on to another story, because that was kind of like a, uh, you know, a one, and this one's a 1A. CNN, because, you know, CNN, all these people love to do polls, especially as we roll up to the midterm elections, even though not that many people vote in midterm elections. It's okay. You can poll the three that are voting. And the CNN poll says nearly seven in 10 Americans are angry at the direction the country is headed, and 53% of Americans disapprove of President Barack Obama's job performance, two troubling signs for Democrats, one week before the midterm elections. This is according to a new CNN slash ORC. I don't know who. Hey, Jason, do you know ORC? Ork? <laughs> I have no idea who they are. Anyway, they uh, paired up with CNN to do this poll. Now, look, Barack Obama ain't perfect. We all know that. He's made some mistakes. He's made, made some decisions I vehemently disagree with. But for American voters to be angry, angry about precisely what? Now, hey, Jason, think back a couple, three years. What, were the, what was the price of gas back then? Four, four something, yeah, over four bucks a gallon. And who did they blame for the high gas price? Barack Obama. Now, gas prices have dropped like a stone. I don't know what the reasons are, but they've dropped like a stone. In Jersey, you can get a gallon of gas for two seventy-five, compared to four some. Are people angry about that? Because you know the Wall Street Journal ran a piece that says you know this means the country's going to hell in a handbasket. Gas, gas prices is low. Uh, unemployment has been dropping repeatedly. I think there's maybe one flat or one uptick, but it's been dropping. Four years ago, what was it? Eight, nine percent. Now we're down to around six. Maybe people are angry about that. Maybe people are angry because they think not enough people are unemployed. Damn it. I don't know. I'm not sure what people are angry about. More people have access to health care. I mean, a lot more people. Affordable Care Act is not perfect, party people. I know that. But more people have access to health care than when we didn't have the Affordable Care Act. So are people angry and upset about that? I don't know. 30% of Americans, according to this poll, are very angry. 38% somewhat angry. 31% expressed no anger at all. Now, you know, uh, these polls are put in the context of the election and it helps Republicans and it hurts Democrats and blah, 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 blah. That's cool. You can do that if you want. But I want to know what is everybody so danged angry about? Why? are I mean, look, the Ebola thing. And we'll get to that because we, we, we got a very special guest who's going to be joining us to talk about the politics of Ebola, particularly here in the New York metropolitan area. But we'll, we'll leave that aside for a moment. Are people upset about Ebola and the federal government's response? Because, you know, if anything goes wrong, Barack Obama's to blame. Yeah, it's him. That Kenyan socialist in the White House. He did it. Uh, people still upset about Benghazi, maybe? Fast and Furious? I don't know. I do not know. Uh, And what's interesting, too, Barack Obama's job performance is viewed favorably in the Northeast by 51% and in urban areas, 60%. So I guess if, if you don't go out into the, you know, into the hustings, into, you know, the, the great heartland of America... Maybe maybe we're all missing the point here in New York about why everybody's so upset about Barack Obama. Because I, I, I don't know. I do not know. Now, are there not, 
you know, jobs that don't pay enough money? Absolutely. Maybe too many people are finding employment in jobs that don't allow them to feed their families. I get that. Wouldn't disagree with it. Not for a minute. But there has been an expansion expansion of jobs. Some people cobble two, three jobs just to make ends meet in a family. And I'm not saying that's a great thing either, but people do it. I do not understand why everybody's so mad. Do the people in California who are experiencing an extraordinary drought that almost nobody outside of California talks about, are they blaming Obama for not having water? I don't know. Remember, we we had a show. Jason, you remember that? We had a show about the water shortage in California before it got fashionable, way, way back. Not toot my own horn, you understand, but I just want you to know, we try and stay on top of these things. So seven out of ten Americans are angry, angry at the direction of the country. Where do they think the country ought to go? Higher unemployment, fewer people with health care, higher gas prices. And those are just like three indicators. They're not all of them. And Lord knows we will never be in a perfect situation in this country. We'll never be in a perfect situation on this planet. But uh, I don't get it. I really don't. Want to know something else I don't get, Jason? The Bush family is getting ready to push Jeb, who seems to be the only member of that generation and the previous one, not to serve in the White House. They're trying to push him to run for president in 2016. Another Bush. And this ties into this whole thing about people being angry at Barack Obama and blah, blah, blah. Because if you might remember back to 2008, there were a lot of Americans that said when George W. Bush was headed out the door, don't let the screen door hit you in the butt on the way out. Now, six years later, the Bushes think that it's time for another one and that people are looking more favorably, more favorably at the Bush years. Now, I got to tell you, when it comes to politics in general, when it comes to Democrats and Republicans and who funds them and who does this and who does that, listen, some people might argue, ain't a dime's worth a difference between the two. And, you know, we got a, a gubernatorial election here on November 4th where there are, in fact, alternatives to the Democrats and the Republicans. We'll get into that a little later, too. But Jeb Bush... Jeb Jr., you know, I have always thought that people who called their kids Jr. had no imagination. And I may be 100% wrong, and I may be dogging people out improperly. But there is, in fact, a Jeb Bush Jr. And he says, quoting here, no question, people are getting fired up about it. Donors and people who have been around the political process for a while, people he's known in Tallahassee when he was governor, the family, we're geared up either way. Most important, his mother, Columba, the prospective candidate's politics averse wife, has given her assent. Maybe people think, you know, like the Republicans are fresh out of ideas, fresh out of candidates, fresh out of everything. And, and you might want to, you know, you look at the Democratic side and people are ready to do yet another coronation to Hillary Clinton. <laughs> you remember the last one in 08, right? You saw how that turned out. So, you know, the Clintons and the Bushes. Between the two of them, they'll run the country until I'm in the ground, I guess. But old Jeb, he may be thinking about it. Of course, here's, here's the real downside to all this. All right. Part of that decision is going to rest on how much money's out there for him. Who's ready to pony up? Which hedge fund guy is ready to kick in to make a Bush, another Bush candidacy a reality? The politics of Ebola, which, by the way, is a frightening, frightening thing. We've seen it up close and personal right here in New York. 
and in New Jersey, where the governors of both states have imposed quarantines, relaxed quarantines, said they never changed their position as they changed their position. And joining us to talk about this is my good friend and one of the greatest investigative reporters this city has ever seen. He is Mr. Tom Robbins. Tom, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. Much appreciated. Thank you. Now, let me start out by asking you, Tom, because you've, you've been around, you've covered politics in this town for a long time. How political has the response to Ebola in New York and New Jersey, in fact, been? It's, it's been the same as it usually is, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, you know, it's played out uh, in, in New York. I mean, I think, you know, we, we had a, a brief moment when uh, it looked like uh, last week that the mayor of New York City and the governor of New York, uh, de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo, were sitting next to each other, Bellevue Hospital, and on the same page talking about how they were going to deal with a true imminent threat. I mean, we had a returning health worker from West Africa who had come down symptomatic with Ebola, and it was something that needed to be addressed. And he was there with uh, the, the really stunningly competent uh, health commissioner, uh, Mary Travis Bassett, talking about what steps they were taking. And for the first time, there was the governor and there was the mayor appearing, you know, talking in sync and uh, and effectively and praising this health worker as a hero, Dr. Craig Spencer. And then within 24 hours, you had the complete opposite, where uh, you had uh, the governors of New York and New Jersey, Cuomo and Christie, sitting together saying that uh, they were calling these uh, quarantines, uh, and that everybody returning from West Africa who had been in contact with the Ebola victims was going to be quarantined against their will at the airport. And immediately followed up thereafter with uh, one of those health workers, uh, Casey Hickox, being incarcerated that way. And this had people's heads spinning. But yeah. it was pure politics. It is pure politics. And, and i got to wonder, Tom, I mean, I, I don't know about you, and maybe I have, I have been running in the wrong circles lately, but I have found a stunning lack of empathy with the workers, whether it be Hickox or Spencer or any of the rest of these folks who have gone over there and put their lives on the line, literally, in West Africa. Uh, it, it's kind of like, well, that's what they signed up for. I wish they'd stop whining. I, I have absolutely been stunned. Or maybe I'm just hanging with the wrong people, huh? Well, I think, you know, you're going to hear the worst from people when their leaders are feeding them their worst fears. I mean, we, we have seen... Uh, these fear of Ebola plague just stoked by the tabloids and by some of the TV coverage, uh, which, I mean, this truly is a dread disease. You know, there's 10,000 people infected. Half of them have died. There's no question this is a terrible scourge. But, you know, we're in flu season here in America, and uh, there's apparently going to be 30,000 people who are not going to get their flu shots, and they're going to die of that this year because of the fact they just didn't take that simple step. So... You know, we've got homegrown problems, which are every bit as much of a to be feared, and they don't get talked about in the same way. So we, we've got we've got people playing to our worst fears, and, and sometimes it comes out. But I tell you, Mark, I, I watched the president today uh, with the health care workers who were on their way into uh, right in the middle of uh, West Africa to deal with some of these clinics and try to help folks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, I thought, you know, the president actually was trying to speak, I think, to the best in America, as he said, which he said, we don't hide under the covers. We, we, uh, we go right into the maw of the problem when we try to address it. So, you know, if folks are going to listen to that side of the political argument, you know, I think that they can draw some inspiration from it. But they don't like him. I just talked about a poll that said most people think he's going in the wrong direction. So, uh, I, I mean, you're right. He's speaking to the best of America. But is America ready to hear what he has to say about the best of America? Well, look, I think, <laughs> I mean, broadly speaking, America remains pretty effectively split, almost down the middle. Yeah. But what, but what pushes us over the top in either direction, I, I would argue, is the media. I think the media is more tired of this president than the public is. And uh, the more the media comes down on him, the more that there's been this public disenchantment with him that follows. Uh, I don't think that you could watch... The way that he has behaved, in particular with this crisis, and not feel, wow, gee, I'm, I'm glad we've got someone who's got a level head in the White House right now who's not panicking. But, the, Tom, they're blaming him 
Because the CDC doesn't seem to know exactly how long they want to do quarantines and under what circumstances. They make it sound as if Barack Obama's down there in Atlanta telling them, well, let's go out and confuse a few people. Yeah, well, you know, you're going to catch all kinds of hell when you're in charge, Mark. But mm-hmm. at the same time, let's let's just look at the, you know, let, let's just go to the videotape and see what happened so far. We've had one fatality. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had someone who had been infected when he got, well, shortly after he got here, and he was put in a hospital in Texas, and apparently not every precaution was taken there. And you certainly can fault the CDC for not having been on the case right away, right there. They should have been in the hospital making sure that uh, those workers are getting into the right scrubs. But those health workers are now recovering. Mm-hmm. One of them was in the White House uh, this week hugging the president. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't look to, it doesn't look to me like, you know, this is the most infectious disease that you could possibly have. You know, there are ways to beat it. Yeah, it's, And it's, apparently, it's apparently our health system is, uh, is pretty effective at that. But, Tom, you know, people say there there are ways to beat it. There are different experimental drugs, et cetera, et cetera. But isn't the public kind of confused about, you know, why some people recover and some people don't? Yes. Well, for for good reason, because apparently there's there's no antidote for this thing. It's not like you can go and get a vaccine and you're going to be protected against it. What it calls for is like is uh, uh, strict withdrawal. You have, you have to be in a place which is completely uh, isolated from uh, the rest of uh, the patients, and you have to be, uh, be dealt with in a way that every single protocol that's going to protect the health workers is is covered. Uh, but that if you can get whatever basic medical care to people, people can recover. I mean, what's happening in, in West Africa seems to mostly be the result of the fact that people don't know or aren't using the right precautions in terms of dealing with affected people. So more mm-hmm. people get affected. And people who are ailing, there aren't enough beds for them or places for them to go. Yeah. So it's spreading that way. That's The real fear is that this is going to continue to spread in West Africa. Forget about what's happening over here. It's in West Africa that this problem resides, and that's where you have to go. That's why, you know, the president was in the White House today praising these folks who are going over there to help. Because if we don't beat it there, clearly we are going to have to really worry about what shows up at Newark Airport and JFK. But we're a long ways from that so far. We shouldn't be so much thinking about ourselves. We should really be thinking about what's going on over there. Well, you know, it's interesting, Tom. Uh, the Cubans have kind of stepped up to the plate that way, too, you know, sending doctors uh again into the belly of the beast just like like uh, we have and some might argue proportionally more doctors than we've sent um and and it's seemingly without regard to whether or not they're going to get sick huh well, I'm sure that they have plenty of regard, just like our own health workers do about, you know, they're going to do everything they can to protect themselves. But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Cuba, which has so many faults in terms of the way it deals with civil liberties, has always had a fabulous health system. There's yeah. no question. There's no question but that over the last 50 years, in isolation, despite the all the all the sanctions that the U.S. has put on them, they've managed to have a health, a public health system that does provide for people, and it does create a great core of medical workers. Mm, absolutely. Tom, let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, I remember when uh, the AIDS epidemic first began and a couple of people I knew were in the hospital, one in particular at Bellevue. And I remember going to Bellevue Hospital to visit this person who later died and the nurses and the support staff would not walk into the room with this guy because at that time. People were saying, well, you know, you can you can get AIDS from from being, you know, from from somebody breathing on you. Uh, you know, just like a lot of stuff that turned out most of it not to be true. Do you get a sense that that some of these workers, uh, if, if this hysteria continues and a lot of it's driven by politics, I have to say. But if this hysteria continues, will workers start to back off? Well, well, I think, as I recall, I mean that's a tragic story you're remembering, and, and there were a lot, so many painful events associated yeah. with the with the AIDS outbreak. But you know, health workers in New York figured it out pretty quick. You know, there there was fear. Uh, people did not. There was an enormous amount of ignorance. But once yeah. people realized what the outlines of the disease were, they were able to deal with it. So that you had a place like St. Vincent's, a Catholic hospital, right in the middle of the village which became the go-to place for yeah. people who needed treatment for AIDS, a Catholic hospital, you know, became the place where most, many victims, many of whom were gay, ended up. 
in the 1980s, getting tremendous care from the health corps there. You know, there's something else to remind me of, which I find remarkable, is that, you know, a little bit of history really is in context here. When, yeah. when, eight, when the AIDS epidemic was first erupting here in America, the president of the United States, then Ronald Reagan, would not talk about it. And when it was first raised by reporters in the White House briefing room, they got mocked hmm. by presidential spokesmen saying, well, maybe you're gay. Maybe this is a concern for where you come from. This is not a concern for this White House. They refused to acknowledge it. And that really was a homegrown health crisis and a true epidemic here in America. So you compare the leadership or the lack of leadership that we got in the Reagan administration when AIDS was exploding and what we have now from the President of the United States. That's a pretty stark difference, I think. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt about it. Our guest is award-winning investigative reporter Mr. Tom Robbins. We're talking about the politics of Ebola. i, I got to tell you, Tom, uh, say what you will about Cuomo. Cuomo's vacillated. He's done this and that. Christie uh, has actually shocked me just a bit. Uh, first of all, with uh, a, a complete lack of empathy with uh, uh, Casey Hickox. I mean, essentially, well, she's sick, isn't she? You know, uh, and not apologizing, not really backing up off any position that he's taken. And he's not even up for election this time around. It, it, you get a sense he's prepping for 2016? <laughs> I think you might well get that sense that he knows that his heart, that his constituency, you know, we we're talking about in America that still remains roughly split down the middle. His half is the one that's very clear that they don't want these people coming to America. They want, if they come to America, they want them to be completely isolated and quarantined without question as to their symptoms. And he's playing to that crowd, you know. It's just, he's he's taking, you know, the, the lowest common denominator we're going with it at this point. Absolutely. You know, I, I, it dawned on me that, uh, because one of the... Uh, candidates for governor rob astorino has and, and continues to say that flights from west africa should not be allowed to land in america uh d- does it dawn on anybody that you 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 know you run the risk of making americans stateless under those circumstances where, where are they supposed to go if they can't come back here yeah and you also create something else which is that people will sneak in you know, yeah once you make it impossible for people to come in they will find ways to sneak in you know you, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. no question People know how to get into this country illegally. We know that. And if they think that we're not going to be allowed in because they come from those countries, they'll find a way to get here. And if they're infected, we really will have a problem because we won't know they're here. Is that just is that political grandstanding? That you, you've seen a lot of political grandstanding in your time. Is that what we're seeing here? Yeah. No, I think I think we really are. I forgot to say that day when we saw the mayor and the governor of New York like together on the same page and and speaking, you know, calmly and uh, and thoroughly about what steps were being taken. I thought, you know, that's 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 thing. That's politics at its best. It was politics. It was helpful to both men. And then we've seen the reverse since then. And it's both it's political grandstanding. I think what's going on now playing to the basis instincts of Americans. But uh, Tom, what what changed? Did, did did Cuomo suddenly, you know, step out of the room with de Blasio and, and, and realize, that, you know, the progressive gooby dust wasn't on him anymore or something? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to have to page the shrinks now to get an answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, Andrew Cuomo sometimes does mysterious things. And look, for all we know, he didn't like the fact that he wasn't the star of that show. And he decided that he wanted to stake out different territory. Or maybe he got worried that Astorino was going to flank him on the right and might take some votes away, and that this could hurt him. This, I mean, you know, right now we're getting treated to uh, you know ads every thirty seconds on TV bashing Astorino or bashing Cuomo. Yeah. And the governor clearly wants to win by as wide a margin as he can. He may have decided, hmm, I'm best served by like leaning a little bit to the right on this one. Interesting, Tom. Who should decide what the protocols, procedures, policies? Length of quarantine, place of quarantine. Who should decide that? The feds or the states? Well, I think it's a federal decision. We have we have a, a communicable disease center, you know, which is uh, uh, oh, run by Tom Frieden, who was a former health commissioner here, here in, in New, New York. York. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think that in terms of the broadest protocols, that's where, that's where the leadership should come from. If there are individual states who think they have particular fears, or they have a higher population at risk for a higher number of people, they might want to take additional steps, which maybe they can, you know, maybe they'd be right. But I think, you know, we look to the federal government to give us these kind of indications because they're always cross-border. People land at Newark Airport, they come right across the river to New York. Yeah, yeah, they sure do. Tom Robbins, as always, great to talk to you, man. Thank you so much for taking great the time. To you, Mark. Huh? Thanks for having me. Take All right. care. Have a good one. Take care. Tom Robbins, award-winning investigative reporter, used to be at the Village Voice. He and Wayne Barrett uh, broke a whole bunch of stories back in the day. And I remember, Jason, I'll never forget somebody writing an article. Uh, I think they were talking about presidential candidates or something at that point. And they said, if you're coming to New York and you've sinned in any way, you might as well call Barrett and Robbins up on the phone now and confess because they're going to find out. That's how bad Tom and Wayne were. Anyway, it's 29 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Let's all, let, shall we open the phones? 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. You don't have to talk about Ebola. You don't have to talk about politics. we got a few other things to talk about including the IRS and voter fraud vigilantes. Andrea Pizer, do you know who she is, Jason? Yeah, you know who she is, right? Uh, she Normally, her columns creep me out, but she's outdone herself this time around. They're tracking mail. That's right, the post office. Instead of trying to figure out how to get out of debt, they're tracking mail for law enforcement, and, and more than most people think. Some doctors are not taking insurance exchange patients. I didn't know that was legal. I really didn't. 2,000 women have sued a Georgia Senate candidate. Guess, guess which party. And, of course, when it's all said and done, we got to the ridiculous as well. 888-874-4888. Can we play a little traveling music, Michael? Uh, Michael. <laughs> Michael's on the phone. <laughs> Jason, can we play a little traveling music? And uh, we'll be right back after this. Twenty-seven minutes before the hour of seven o'clock. Eight 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 seven four four eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. This is the Progressive Radio Network. This is the Mark Riley Show, and my good friend Michael S. W. from the Bronx is on the line. Michael, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Mark. You know you're funny. He asked. Um, he mentioned my name to play a little music, and I'm saying to myself, "Wow, how did he know that I was a DJ back in my college days?" Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah, um, I have my own um, radio show. It's an extracurricular activity, campus radio. Iona College. Oh, that was my brother went to Iona. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, that Long was time before 90s. you got there. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, may I add a couple of more um, issues to your plate? Yeah, please. All right. Uh, remember before I was talking to you about some um, real bad apples and NYPD. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a recent report, it was here in the Daily News, about a Parks Environment employee who was also a cop watch volunteer, Jose LaSalle. Oh, yeah, I heard about him. He's the one they, did they rough him up, allegedly, yep. or something along those lines? Yep, they roughed him up because the cops didn't like the idea of him videotaping them while in action. As guaranteed, you know, the the people have a right to video It's record. perfectly legal, and the cop, most cops know it's perfectly legal. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael, because yeah. uh, here's where we are with that, okay? I want to hear from you first, and then i give you my perspective. Okay. Um, there are certain things that cops know people can do, but they don't care that people can do them. If they feel that a private citizen 
will do something that is injurious to them. They will try and figure out a way to stop that private individual from doing it, whether it be videotaping, whatever it is, bearing witness. Back in the day, if, you know, before, even before video, uh, you know, uh, videotaping came into wide usage, back mm-hmm. in the day, if, you know, some cops were wailing on somebody on a street corner someplace and people walk by, said, what are you hitting on a guy like that for? And next thing you know, cops, what, what, what would a cop say? You know what they'd say. You're from the Bronx. Move along or I'll bust you too. Right? They either give a threat or they come up with some BS excuse saying, we thought he had a gun or he... We oh, no, they, they, they don't explain that to the people that are eyewitnesses to a scene. They tell the eyewitnesses to get moving. They'll That's tell the, the eyewitnesses, this is, the, the, you know, nothing to see here. Get lost. Yep, that's true. That's now that. it's more difficult because everybody's got, uh, uh, you know, videotaping equipment on their phones. And, uh, you know, they, the cops have been told there were memos. Ray Kelly put out a memo and said, look, this is legal. Not Ray Kelly. You sure it wasn't Ray Kelly? I thought Ray Kelly told them, like, last October or something, a year ago, that it was legal. Whenever it was. It was this year, and it was from Bill Bratton. All right, well, they know it's legal. Yeah. Okay. So why do you think they treat it like it isn't? And I'll explain to you why. But to remind, remind everybody that you had a memo from Police Commissioner Bill Bratton saying that it's perfectly legal and you're not to stop anybody from or retaliate against anyone for video recording you in action. That's why we're getting the body cams thing going on. And a federal court said it's legal. But if you notice recently, just before this story came forth, um, police union president Patrick Lynch, after his constant ranting of give the police the benefit of the doubt and there's no such thing as um, police abusing, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Well, now you have the evidence on video and audio. And what is Lynch's response? I think people need to stop their silly amateur recording and let the police go about doing their jobs. Now, I don't know about you, Mark, but in my view, it seems that Mr. Lynch is the one that's egging these cops to go about roughing people up that is providing video and audio documentation of when they go out of line. And it's Well, here, here's the thing, one. Michael. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Pat Lynch is a union leader. I know okay. that. I and, know that. Uh, <clears throat> but see, understand what that means. He serves not at the pleasure of the mayor, not at the pleasure of the general public. He doesn't get elected by the public. He gets elected by cops. But so if he a- doesn't, if he is not seen as being an advocate for cops, guess what? Pat Lynch goes back to being a cop. But guess what, Mark? Guess what, Mark? The history of Pat Lynch, and you know, he he does have his own prejudices. Also, I don't see him ever uh, representing or defending any police officers that are black or Latino. He's always defending white cops. And on top of that, wait, 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 I wait, 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 Michael, that's yeah. not true. That's not true. And, and, and you know, there's a, what I've seen. You I know. But different. see, that's that's a difference. There's a difference between people's mm-hmm. public posture and where they put their money. Mm-hmm. And when black cops have been accused of malfeasance. Pat Lynch has stepped up to the plate and made sure they were properly represented. That is his job. I don't know why, then, he has joined in the orchestrating the ouster of three police officers back in the Giuliani days. The police officers, um, Daisy Berea, who testified at the Francis Lavodi um, trial and went against the Blue Wall of Silence. Well, uh, you, you, you understand why that happened. Yeah, when I you know. go against the blue wall of silence, the blue wall of silence strikes back, even then. And that was, what, 20 years ago now? And the same thing happened to Yvette Walton, as well as the friendly fire victim, um, Desmond Robinson, who wanted to try to come up with sensitivity training. So the thing is, is that, and I asked the police leaders, are you actually sending these police officers out to protect and serve and to comply with the laws and the Constitution of the United States, or are you sending them different messages that go complete the contrary? And my fear is when some police officers do cross the line, even if they are ordered to, 
you know, they're the first ones to get thrown under the bus because the top brass or the the leaders want to save their own butts because, you know, when the you-know-what hits the fan and then the feds get involved, that's why I tell people, you know full well what your responsibility is. If you're a police officer, your boss is the oath that you took at the time you graduated from the police academy. Don't let anyone coach you into doing something wrong because you're the one that's going to be the one um, paying for it in the end. Well, see, so, here's the thing. The, there's one the, more thing I need to bring up. Wait, 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 wait. Before mm-hmm. you do that. Mm-hmm. Cops, you may be right. The oath is the boss, but the oath doesn't determine what shift you work or where you work. Unfortunately, yeah. Or, or whether or not you get promoted. True. Those are human beings that do that. And cops, being sensitive people, when it comes to their own, you know, their own ability to feed their families, their own ability to move up the promotional ladder. Uh, and remember now, they, they just made Phil Banks. You know who Chief Banks is, right? Sounds familiar. He just made the number two gig. Just under Bratton. Bratton just appointed him yesterday, day before. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and his brother, by the way, runs the Eagle Academy for young men. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, there are incremental changes taking place in the NYPD. That's not to negate anything that you've said. But sure. there are incremental changes that are taking place. And, and, you know, Patty Lynch and Ed Mullins and these guys, they represent, uh, I don't want to say a throwback to the past, but a, a view of traditional policing that is starting to change. Now, the way that, that, that the media plays into this, and Tom Robbins talked about this with Ebola, but it's true in policing, too. The way the media deals with this is to make it sound as if any change or deviation from traditional policing means that the crime rate's going to go up. But what we've seen, conversely, is the crime rate has remained flat or gone down since Bratton's that become is, commissioner. That is true. So the, is true. The, it, it's, it's not an automatic quid pro quo. Now, Bratton is, is a, a, a strong supporter of broken windows. A lot of people don't like broken windows, but Bratton is, Bratton is standing up to that. He thinks mm-hmm. it's a good idea. Now, I have talked to people, both inside and outside the NYPD, and what they've told me is broken windows, theoretically, should not be a problem. It is in its application that the, difficult, the potential difficulty exists. If you go and you begin to enforce low-level criminality equally, which means if a black guy jumps a turnstile, a white guy jumps a turnstile, an Asian guy jumps a turnstile, and a Latino guy jumps, you bust all of them. Absolutely. All right, then broken windows is not a problem. The problem is that the perception and is that that's not what's happening. Yeah. Listen, I got to run, Michael, but thanks a lot oh, for calling. Before, before I go, did you hear also about um, there was some kind of video on the streets earlier today of a woman that was walking and was cat-called several times on the side by the guys. Uh, that wasn't several times. That was a hundred times, I think, in eight hours. A hundred and eight times. Wasn't it a hundred and eight times, Jason? Somewhere around there. It was an incredible number of times that the woman was cat-called. Uh, that would ordinarily be in our To the Ridiculous little segment, Michael, but uh, I got something else for that. But you're right. Uh, that is something that men have to own up to and correct. It's as simple as that. We control that. We control our own mouths. Lord knows men control their own mouths. Why you got to talk about, hey, babe, what, what do you think? Let me tell you the, the, <clears throat> what one woman did to deal with this kind of hey, baby, cat calling, walking down the street sort of thing. Uh, and this was a woman of means, black woman, stylish, walking down the street. And some guy as my father would say, some joker <laughs> said, hey, baby, how you doing? Blah, blah. She turned to him and she said, I'm doing all right. What do you want? Well, you know, I'd love to take you some. OK, you want to take me someplace? Show me your role. You must have money because I'm not going any place with you. That's cheap. Guy started stuttering. <laughs> Eventually. 
she browbeat him. And by the way, this was on the street. People started to listen to this mess. And eventually she embarrassed the guy so badly he walked away. Now, I'm not saying that that's the solution to this. The solution to this is for men to correct their mouths. Period. And, and Michael, again, thank you so much for calling, man. Much appreciated. I, I, and I'm glad he brought that up. Because, you know, I've never done, I have never, and I'm not a kid, all right, even when I was a kid, I've never done that. Jason, have you ever done that? Have you ever catcalled? I've always found it to be tacky. Uh, uh, tacky, counterproductive, and, like, what, do you seriously think because you try to talk to somebody that they're going to, like, w- run away with you somewhere? I had a friend. I haven't seen him in years. I, I don't know whatever happened to him. But we were standing out in front of his place. He lived on Carmine Street. It was a car- yeah, it was Carmine Street in the village. And we were hanging out. And, you know, foot traffic, women walking by. And he tried to talk to every woman that walked by. I stood by silently because I, I, I didn't function that way. I'm, you know, people say I'm antisocial, but, but I, don't, I don't crack on no women walking down the street. That's ridiculous. He did it to everybody. And I finally said to him, his name was Kiki. I said, yo, Kiki, what's wrong with you, man? These women aren't stopping for you. They're not talking to you. And he said, listen, I do this and 10 women walk by and don't say anything or look at me, screw up their faces, talk back and say, get away from me, whatever. I do this for the one woman that will stop and talk. And I said, that's, that's no bargain, you know. But there's something beyond that that has to be confronted here. And that is that women feel unsafe. Unsafe. When dudes do this, they feel creeped out by it. And and Lord knows it can be extremely problematic if somebody starts walking with them, walking alongside. You ever see that, Jason? Guy cracks on a woman and then walks alongside her trying to talk and trying to talk. Imagine what that would be like. You know what I hate? I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. when you see someone on the subway and the girl's going one way and the guy's going the other way, he stops. The girl now doesn't even see he's looking, but he has to stop looking at her and be like, oh, man, and start making all these noises. She's gone now, but he's waiting, making everyone slow and he can't get out of the way. He can't get out of the way, yeah. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? The girl's gone. You had no chance to begin with. You're embarrassing yourself. Yeah, but, but people embarrass themselves. And let me tell you something. If the shoe was on the other foot, if women did this to men, <laughs> trust me, <laughs> Folks would be like, what, 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 what the deuce is going on here? But hey, you know what? It is what it is. And, you know, I, 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 I don't understand it. I really simply do not understand. But I'm glad Michael brought it up because it is important. Now, I got a couple other stories here that are a little less important, but I, I, I think I ought to share them with you. Number one. I don't know how many of you have heard, the organiz- heard of the organization called True the Vote. They're a voter suppression movement. <laughs> that's not what they call themselves, but that's what they are. Republicans. They uh, sued the IRS, saying essentially that, they, that True the Vote had been targeted for greater IRS scrutiny due to its conservative point of view. Well, Judge Reggie Walton tossed that case. That case and another one brought by something called Lynchpins of Liberty. Lynchpins of Liberty? And by the way, Reggie Walton is no flaming, and by the way, he's a U.S. District Court judge. He's no flaming liberal. He was a President Bush nominee to the court. He didn't rule on the merits of the case. He didn't decide that the IRS was okay, uh, conduct was okay. He ruled that procedurally... There was no place to go. And the plaintiffs in both instances couldn't prove any harm. Which kind of like is English for, so yeah, I'm sure they're going to appeal or try something else. And uh, True the Vote is still running around the country. And by the way, raising money running around the country. Saying that the election, the midterms, that some of these elections will be stolen on November 4th. Uh, My guess is... 
that they feel they'd be stolen if Democrats win. I mean, that, that pretty much sums up how they function. I mentioned Andrea Pizer earlier. And uh, my good friends at Dewan Kett describe her thusly. Jason, check this out. Andrea Pizer, a troll who lives under a bridge <laughs> and also an anger columnist at the New York Post. She's angry. I guess she must be one of those that was polled by CNN. She's angry about uh, Eric Garner's mother being let out of a traffic ticket and actually having cops fix her broken headlight. That's a huge problem to Andrea Pizer. Uh, and Andrew, Andrea Pizer has the biggest flights of fancy, I think, of, of anybody that actually writes in any media outlet in this city. She says, as a law-abiding taxpayer, this makes me furious. As a motorist, I want my money back for every traffic fine I've ever paid. Never mind that uh, Gwen Carr, who was Eric Garner's mother, lost a son under, at best, questionable circumstances. Andrea Pizer never wrote anything about Eric Garner's death and about whether or not any laws may have been violated in the way he died. But a traffic ticket? Oh, no, you don't. No, 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 no. But that's Andrea Pizer. And uh, that term, troll who lives under a bridge, and an anger columnist at the Post? Apropos. Here's another one for you, party people. In a rare public accounting of its mass surveillance program, the U.S. Postal I didn't know they had a mass surveillance program. Did you know the post office had a mass surveillance program? They reported that it approved nearly 50,000 requests last year from law enforcement agencies and its own internal inspection unit to secretly monitor the mail of Americans for use in criminal and national security investigations. Now, here's number one. We are told by anybody who's ever spent 15 seconds watching Fox News talk about the post office that nobody uses it anymore. (laughs) Okay. No, I don't use the post office. I send emails. I, this, I, I Instagram. Well, if that's the case, why the deuce do you need to get 50,000 requests and agree to 50,000 requests to spy on the mail of Americans? I thought Americans stopped using the post office for mail. Do you spy on FedEx, too? UPS? I, they probably do. I don't know. Uh, the request shows that the surveillance program is more extensive than previously disclosed. What else is new? It's always more extensive than previously disclosed. And uh, oversight protecting Americans from potential abuses is lax. Now, you can combine this with any number of other stories of surveillance gone wild in this country. And very quickly come to the conclusion that the only thing you can do is live off the grid. All right, just pack up your stuff, go somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and live off the grid. Cut down a few trees, as long as it's legal. Build yourself a log cabin. Maybe you bring a generator with you. I don't know if you got a motor vehicle to carry it in. But live off the grid. You know, send everybody, send the IRS a letter. Send everybody a letter. I'm leaving, I'm done, I'm finished. No more cell phones, no more television. I'm done. Nobody's going to do it, though. We're Americans. (laughs) We have to have everything. Some doctors are aware, aware, are wary of taking clients through insurance exchanges. Many people find they can't find a doctor who will take them on as patients. Because the exchange plans often have lower reimbursement rates, some doctors are limiting how many new patients they take with these policies, physicians groups, and other experts say. Quote, the exchanges have become very much like Medicaid. Physicians who are in solo practice have to be careful not to take too many patients reimbursed at lower rates or they're not going to be in business very long. And that, Jason, therein lies the rub. They're in business, (laughs) okay? They're doctors, And I understand, nobody expects them to lose money. 
But do you turn away people at the door? Because you don't make enough off of them? Maybe you do. You know, I, I, I know doctors on both sides of this divide, by the way. I know doctors who think this kind of conduct is heinous. And I know other doctors who say, well, wait a minute. I can't afford. There are doctors, and Jason, they're not that far from here. They're a cross-town bus ride away from here. They don't take anybody's insurance. I don't care what you got. Pay cash or keep walking. These are people who, by the way, are very well-to-do. These, I'm not talking about the patients now, because they are well-to-do. But the doctors are well-to-do. Now, you know, uh, uh, if these folks can't get to doctors or, which would be even worse, the doctors are dropping them, dropping them. What in the deuce are they supposed to do? Uh, There's a guy named David Perdue who wants to be the next U.S. senator from Georgia. But he's got a few problems with the ladies. Uh, And he's running against a lady, Michelle Nunn, who I think is the daughter of the late Senator Sam Nunn. And by the way, there are no Democrats in statewide office. And Purdue, when he was CEO of the discount chain store Dollar General, no, not the chicken Purdue, the Dollar General Purdue, the company was sued for discrimination by a couple of thousand women who worked not in the line item. They're not stuffing stuff into boxes and sending them out. These are management positions. And uh, interesting. Interesting. Says Purdue, if you look at Dollar General as an example, there was no wrongdoing there. That lawsuit or that claim or that complaint was settled five years after I had left, and it was less than 2,000 people. We had upwards of 70,000 people in that company. Now, Michelle Nunn says, like, 2,000 people sounds like an awful lot of people. Uh, You know, what are you going to do? We'll see whether it hurts him or whether it helps him. So now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for that part of the show that I love the most. To the ridiculous. Now, Jason, what do you think is the most ridiculous thing that happened in New York over the last week or so? And I got to tell you, this is ridiculous. Taylor Swift has become New York City's global welcome ambassador. What? Taylor Swift? She was born in Pennsylvania. She was raised in Tennessee. So what? She lives in Tribeca. And she made a song, Welcome to New York. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm completely out of this one. I, am, I don't understand why Taylor Swift, who, by the way, her main claim to fame is she can pronounce Houston Street. She doesn't call it Houston. And she kind of sort of knows what a bodega is. <laughs> what happened to J-Lo? What happened to Jay-Z? Uh, Jason, I'll tell you who the perfect person is to be New York's welcome ambassador. Sharon Jones. Sharon Jones from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. She would be the perfect ambassador. Not only does she know about subways, she worked in the transit system. And she's one of the most fabulous musicians. Taylor Swift, a pretender compared to the great Sharon Jones. But, I mean, that's just me. And I can think of ten other people, by the way. And it's not about, you know, native New Yorker or this or that or the other. It's not really about that. It's like, Taylor Swift? See, because in, in, in a few years, Taylor Swift may leave town, <laughs> okay? In a few months, Taylor Swift may leave town. And by the way, my main man, Pat Kiernan from New York One, was one of a number of people, including, by the way, Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister, who questioned this particular design. I think New York and Company did this for her. Uh, welcome to New York. And, and, and so somebody said it could have been called Welcome to L.A. or even Welcome to Detroit. But, uh, you know, even Canadians think this is ridiculous. So this is my to the ridiculous slam of this week. And because we're out of time, it will be the end of the program, at least in terms of news items. We'll be back next week, Wednesday, live, 6 o'clock. 
My thanks to Jason Tauberfeld. My thanks to Gary Null and all the good people here at the Progressive Radio Network. My name is Mark Riley. I'm out. Have yourselves a great day and a better week ahead.